Well, everybody, welcome to this edition of the Eternal Leadership Podcast. And uh, you've heard Steve and I and a number of our guests often talk about this place that we tend to drift into when we don't connect what we do in our life with what God really created us to do. And I, I call that place the land of smoldering discontent. It was so awesome. I had somebody, and I'd love to hear from you, everybody out there, uh, please feel free to reach out, get in touch with Steve and I. We always get back to you. And Aaron Smith, who's uh, our guest today, actually reached out to me. And uh, Aaron, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Now, you guys might see a theme here. Aaron is actually in Switzerland. So you are our second Swiss guest in the last couple of weeks, but you're not actually from Switzerland. You just live there now which I think is really cool. So we were just talking about, I think it's manifest destiny, Aaron, that I need to travel to Switzerland to, uh, to meet with y'all in person. I think that'd be, that'd be absolutely a dream come true. Wouldn't that be fun? We'd love to have you. It would be great. Yeah. Well, I gotta have to, I gotta figure out a way to make the trip. Guys, I want you to listen a little bit to uh, Aaron's background. We're going to talk about some things that I think are really important for us to get into a place that I call convergence. And what convergence is that place in our life where we know who we are at the core, and then that becomes in alignment with how God sees us and what he created us to do. Okay, so let's kind of lay that as a bit of a foundation. So it was, you know, my background on Wall Street, uh, Aaron and I just had so much to talk about. And that is Aaron's background. Aaron, you're just a Wall Street veteran. And the one thing that I just love about you today, you are just passionate about seeing that kingdom manifest itself in the marketplace, right where you're at, right? You're, Aaron, your gifts and skills and talents and things that you enjoy doing are in the world of finance, aren't they? Yes, and I think that um, that's really what God is doing uh, these days is to probe that intersection between the financial marketplace and faith and to actually move into that sphere. Because let's face it, uh, the financial sector impacts everybody on a daily basis. And if we want to reach many people for the kingdom, we're going to have to do it in the place where they're focused, in the place where they're engaged. And so, you know, we feel that this is an unreached people group, just the marketplace, the uh, financial sector, especially here in Switzerland, in Europe, in London, in New York some of these major financial centers. And um, so we feel called to, um, you know, just to make ourselves available to the Lord, to be instruments and to let his kingdom mandate flow through us according to his will. Yeah. Cause you know, if we think about this, right, you guys, a lot of you have heard us talk about the seven cultural mountains as a way to really understand, I think, where God has kind of enabled us to operate or equipped us to operate. Because a lot of times people think of ministry or calling in the context, uh, Aaron, unfortunately, I think of vocational ministry, right? The typical, what I would call the religion mountain, but that's only one place. And my personal opinion, what I've seen too often is on that mountain, the leadership on that mountain, what they're trying to do is gather followers and then put a wall around it to like protect them versus I think it should be a place like where that's where boot camp happens for guys like you and me and, and the men and women listening to go there to get equipped to go back to, here's the other mountains, media, government, family, education, business, and arts and entertainment. 
And what you yep. said is absolutely so true. Financially, man, think about, just think about this, just as a concept. What if, imagine, if kingdom-owned companies just took 1% of their gross revenue and put that aside in like a national Christian foundation donor advised fund, or just gave it out of their company to causes, kingdom causes they care about, we wouldn't, I would be willing to bet almost every entity out there doing good work, the traditional uh, ministry that is needed, I'm not saying it's not needed, would be funded. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's such a small shift. So the levers of finance are huge. And so a little background is you went to NYU for undergrad, then you went to Stern School for grad, out of NYU for graduate school. And I got to tell, hear the story because in 9-11, Al-Qaeda blew up your office in the World Trade Center. And I'm get, well, you clearly weren't not in the building. So there was God, God was running interference there. Then you <laughs> actually ran a hedge fund in Singapore, in Hong Kong after coming out of you know, New York City and uh, which led you to Switzerland. And through that, you really connected, and that's something I wanna talk about, is kind of that before and after that process to really connect to that kingdom mandate. In what you're doing right now, you did not feel the need to make a big, huge switch or pivot when you connected to it. Because I always tell people, right, that when you connect to that, it doesn't mean that you have to do something different you can now look at what you are currently doing differently. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I felt, um, you know, initially when I felt really called by the Lord to step into quote unquote ministry, my initial reaction was, Oh, okay, well I should go to seminary and become a mm -hmm. pastor and maybe I'd be a missionary or something of that nature. But the Lord showed me he's actually jealous to have men and women of integrity that are standing in the marketplace and that, basically serve as a point of contact for the Holy Spirit to have access to these business situations that are affecting many, many people. And if you look at the whole breadth of scripture, you know, God generally didn't call the professional clergy. It wasn't really the priests that really impacted things. If you look at the story, it's, you know, shepherds, fishermen, Paul was a tent maker. I mean, so really not the, the professional yeah, at, uh, religious Jacob class. And Moses, right? None of them were uh, rabbinical at all. At all. And so um, that really grabs me and shows me that we can have radical impact and, uh, in the marketplace. Now, the problem is most of us in our professional lives with all the pressure, anxiety, the things coming at us, things are moving 100 miles an hour. And we feel this void of meaning and significance. Eventually, some of us actually receive that, fill that void when we become born again, when we get you know, fired up uh, about our faith. And then the initial reaction is, okay, well, this is great. Now I got to do this, 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 and this. Where actually this creates a lot of pressure on our shoulders. Okay, well, I'm a business guy, and now I've also got to like evangelize to my colleagues and find smart ways to approach people. And I've got to minister, and we got to hold this prayer meeting. We're going to do all this stuff on top of the list of things that we do on Sunday. And that is not God's design. I've seen people who they really get turned on to the Lord and want to have an impact, and then they get tired out, they get burned out because it's all in the flesh, it's all in our own strength. So one of those things that I feel is so critical 
is just appropriating God's grace because we have the biblical promise that if we abide in him and his words abide in us, we shall bear fruit. So that takes the pressure off. We're not striving and straining to bear fruit. We're simply focused on abiding in the vine. We're simply focused on that single-minded intimacy with the Lord, that connection with the Lord. And out of that connection, the divine life will flow through the branches and the fruit will come automatically without that, that, that effort of the flesh. That's significant because think about that because I'm actually, as you're talking, thinking back to kind of my journey, right? When I was first saved, I forgot the Navy in 1927. <laughs> 1927. Oh my God. That's the year my dad was born. I mean, when I was 27, sorry. But anyway, so yeah, you accept Jesus and all of a sudden you realize this void was filled that you didn't even realize. I mean, it, it was freeing. It was amazing. It was like this first love. And then what I did was in my response to that, you are absolutely correct because I'm a, I just had come out of the Navy as a pilot. I was starting my first company. I was a doer right? I was yeah. goal oriented. I was task oriented. So my response was very similar. It was like, okay, I need to get busy. I need to do this at the church and this and this and this and this and this. And I did, I got busy with all that and tried to fit that in with my business stuff, which I, I didn't know how to bring that love that first, you know, this void filling new relationship, relational experience into work other than I think I was showing up as a better person right? And then what happened was I never got to the abide place because over time, as I just did more and more in business, kind of like this other part of my life, I kind of mm. just slowly drifted away from that true north, you know, into a different direction. So I was still going to church. I was still doing those kind of things, but that's how I, you know, got to that place. I think a smoldering discontent, it was just insidious. And I think honestly, you know, we can do that to ourselves. And I love this whole concept of, you know what, we actually have to learn how to abide. And you know what, we, especially as busy people, you know, in the corporate world, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, for a lot of us, just, that is kind of a foreign concept. But let me ask you a question, because I would love to bring this back in as we talk about your transition to really connecting with that your kingdom manifest, but I have to ask you, what was going on in your world in September 11th? Because I know there's a story there. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, so the day before I had gone and uh, I was living at Astro Place at that time and I had some sushi. And is that, is that whole... Astro Place is in New York City? Yeah, in Manhattan, East okay. Village. And... Um, yeah, I had gotten uh, suddenly uh, salmonella food poisoning. So I found myself in NYU Medical Center. Then, you know, I was um, quite sick and um, quite upset because I had never missed work. I've never even been late for work. You know, it was like such a point of pride for me. So, you know, I was in the hospital and uh, I was just getting released from NYU Medical Center on the morning of September 11th, I remember being in the cab, still feeling you know, nauseous, heading downtown and just smelling that burnt metal smell. Mm. And um, yeah, of course, I, I should have been there. I had colleagues uh, that were there and uh, didn't make it out. I had other colleagues who did make it out. And, um, you know, I knew 
that God's hand was on my life and that, uh, that ultimately there was a purpose for my life. I knew that much and I never would have denied that. But for the probably the next decade, I spent really as this prodigal son on Wall Street, traveling the world, you know, doing business deals, being successful in worldly terms, but, you know, probably really empty from a spiritual standpoint. And, uh, but God is so, so faithful. He never let go of me, even though I got distracted, I got focused on my own thing and success, but he was always there and he drew me back. So in that part of your life, what, you know, where were you spiritually, you know, that time during nine 11? Well, like I had grown up in a Christian family. Um, I had, you know, the whole deal. Um, and, um, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus Christ for my salvation. I never would have denied that. I just didn't see the practical implication. It was like, okay, I got it now. I understand Jesus paid for my sins so I can go to heaven one day. But between now and then, I got this life to live and I want to do stuff. And I don't see where that's really relevant to what I'm doing or what I'm hoping to achieve in my life. And that was the connection that I never made. It was just. It was, okay, believing on Jesus for salvation, but it wasn't this more holistic gospel of a kingdom where, hey, no, no, this isn't just fire insurance against hell. This is something that's going to radically change everything you do, everything you see, uh, the way you speak, the way you eat. Everything's going to change. So I spent my time as a prodigal and um, was highly successful in worldly terms, as I said, but also struggling in certain areas. And one of those areas was this sort of genetic curse of alcoholism. Mm. And it kind of went hand in hand with Wall Street. I mean, it wasn't really a big deal, these fancy dinners and whining and dining. And somehow I was able to pull it off, but it was a real problem. But and, when you're in an uh, environment where you're and there's so many different professions and sales service industry where you can easily be in a situation one, two, three, even four nights a week where you're just out at a dinner or people invite you afterwards to have drinks and it can just kind of slowly happen. I mean, just kind of happens slowly and just kind of pulls you in, doesn't it? hundred percent. And before you know it, I was in over my head. I couldn't get out and mm. I tried. That really, really scared me. So it was one of those things that... You tried to... I mean, you were addicted, right? And so when you try to do it on your own, because, you know, that's also part of it, right? When Until we admit that we need help with whatever it is, some of those strongholds in our life. Yes. There's alcoholism, workaholism, pornography, all these different things, whatever it might be, you know, pick your whatever it is. Here's what I think is if we got ourselves into the problem on our own, mm-hmm. and then we think because we're, you know, we're capable people that we can get out of it on our own. I really think we're deceiving ourselves, aren't we? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, basically when we indulge an appetite, any appetite of the flesh, it will eventually become a habit. And then if we continue to indulge that appetite, then it will, you know, sort of solidify itself as an addiction. And this is just difficult to break. I wasn't able to do it. I probably couldn't over-exaggerate what a bad situation it was, you know, but I knew 
I knew that there was this God. I, I remembered, you know, even as a little baby boy, I remember my mom praying in my bedtime prayers. And I knew, I knew, I knew him. And I called out to him. And that was when I first uh, got listening to Tim Keller in mm-hmm. New York at Redeemer Presbyterian. And he had a massive impact. I mean, it was a real lifeline. And I was just listening to his sermons voraciously because I was traveling all around. And I, anyway, I, I knew that this might be the answer. And one day I was in Singapore and I was literally hungover on a Sunday morning, just walking down the street, kind of going randomly into different churches and just sitting in the pew quietly for a few minutes. And then I finally stumbled into a church just as a service was starting up. So I thought I'd stay. And then, you know, at the end of the service, they said, if you want to come forward to the altar and have prayer, you know, somebody will pray for you. And this Chinese pastor laid hands on me. And I, I told him, I, I told him, listen, I have an alcohol problem and I can't stop. And I was crying and this Mm -hmm. Chinese pastor, I'll never know his name. He laid hands on me and prayed for me. And as I was sobbing, I felt the power of the Holy spirit come over my body physically. It was like waves of liquid love, this Mm -hmm. warmth Mm -hmm. just washing over my whole body. And I, I knew that I knew that I knew that, it was finished. It was broken. And I walked out of that church. I never had to go to a meeting or have a, you know, a group or a a method or anything. It was just, there was this curse. And from one moment to the next, that curse was broken. You supernaturally by the power of God, that might not be everybody's experience, but that was my experience. So, you know, at that point I'm like, okay, this is the real deal. And Jesus gave everything for me. How can I do anything less than give everything for him, including my business, my career, and uh, all those things that my agenda, all these things I held so dear and thought were so important. I just give it up to the Lord and, and uh, see what he wants to do with it. So now, in, yeah. you know, operating in that world, what did it look like for you? Because you didn't change your profession, right? You kept, you know, you were the prodigal son that came back. What did it look like to really put down your agenda and then become more conformed and more, you know, and then in, uh, I guess, alignment, convergence with, you know, that plan that Jesus had for you? You know, there's so many ways, um, but probably the one of the big things is just that attitude of heart. And what I write about in the book, Meditations of a Hedge Fund Manager, is this Shabbat rest, this Sabbath rest. And so instead of going from this attitude of like, I got to go 180 miles per hour and get everything done, it changed to this position of trust and faith where I rest in the perfect and finished work of Christ. And I know that he is my provider. And now I'm working. You might see me doing the same things. You might see me on conference calls and meetings. You might see me performing the same activities, but with a different heart attitude. And just having that attitude of Sabbath rest where God's got this because it's God's program. And I'm hitching myself to his wagon and he's driving it forward. His yoke is light. His, his, it's his way. And I just got to get parallel and in line with him. 
and make my business, my career open and available to him. So it's just a, a difference of like, you know, before I was yoked, but like I'm out in front trying to pull out everything on my own. Now it's like, get, get in that place of rest where you just trust. Yeah, you do the work, but you have a different heart attitude. Well, and this gets back to what you said earlier. I believe what you just described is abiding, right? Mm. And as you did this, I have a couple questions here for you. So as you kind of made this shift, right? So you're still doing the same work, but it's the inner things that are you're really working on. Because you said earlier, before we started recording, what you had sent me is, you know what, the world, the enemy, all these external things that are happening in the world, these are small potatoes compared to the inner world, right? The rocks and weeds and soils in my heart. But the great thing is Jesus comes in and makes all that rich and vibrant and fruitful. And so I, I really believe it's that inner game in that abiding spirit and that trusting, you know, in transforming our mind, right? Which is, I believe that, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes in, right? We, yeah, if you yeah. think about this whole concept of the heart and God talks about, you know, that we should love him with our soul, our mind and our body. Mm -hmm. And those are different, right? And I hmm. think in our, our mind, you know, our, actually not our, our mind, our spirit, right? So we have the human spirit, but then the Holy Spirit comes in and absolutely makes that perfect, right? But I think mm. the other part of the heart is the soul. And I think in our spirit, right, that's where our core values reside. These are things I believe that we can get in touch with. We can really understand what those are, the things when we have stress in our life, we're, we're operating from a bad core value. But, you know, Christ talks about, hey, I want you to transform your mind. Mm. And, you know, in that, here's what I think happens is in our mind, right, we have our, this is where our, our beliefs reside, yeah. right? And we have a lot of beliefs about ourselves, about the world, about God, about others, about work, lies that we've let into maybe that, you know, from our experiences or things that have people said that we've maybe accepted as truths, which is what we think is true, but God doesn't see that, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's actually shifting. And that is a process. It doesn't, you know, some of that stuff just doesn't happen overnight because we're, you know, we got to take some time and abide to be able to see some of these things that are not true that we have to weed out. It's Those are the chains, I believe, when he talks about setting the captives free, right? Those chains that bind us back that hold us back are some of those false beliefs that we've accepted as truth. But now as you were in this journey and in this process and trusting in, you know, say, you know, you were showing up with a completely different attitude. What was, you know, did you start to get any feedback from people around you, Aaron, about like, as they noticed a difference? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a big difference. I mean, anybody who knew me, could see that there was a dramatic difference. I mean, cause it wasn't just the alcohol thing. It was also like the arrogance and, um, you know, it was a very arrogant, uh, I had a temper. People looked at me and they're like, why, why is Aaron being so patient and kind? <laughs> it was like, but not everybody could see it. Not everybody could see it. And people wanted to rationalize it or just say, ah, oh, well, I don't know. But you know, the fact is when you get born again, something dramatic happens in your spirit and that's instantaneous. But 
as far as renewing our mind, that is a process that's a lifelong process that we have to get into the word and we have to actually mix the word with faith so that it can germinate in our hearts so that it will then produce 30, 60, even a hundred fold. And I feel like a lot of people in this position of, of their, their, trying to live out their faith in a professional context. They want to have impact, but they probably, a lot of people in my view, maybe don't have the proper commitment to the word. In my view, we have to have this commitment to the word because it, in, in Joshua chapter one, it states clearly, you know, I shall meditate on God's word day and night, and then I shall have good success. That's the principle. And you cannot renew your mind through any other means than taking the word, bringing it into your heart, mixing it with faith and having the Holy Spirit quicken it. And um, this is going to change everything. And it might not necessarily mean business success, although it can mean that, but it does mean a sort of success, a sort of uh, prosperity that will envelop multiple realms, spiritual, relationship, emotional health, many different levels, the least of which is money and financial, but it can include that. It can include that because that's important. You know, if you look at the life of someone like John D. Rockefeller, who was, most people don't realize, was an ardent Baptist. He, he was a strong, strong Christian, went to prayer meetings every Friday night for 40 years, tithed his first wages as a teenager working on the farm came up out of basically nothing and, you know, created one of the most successful companies in, in history, Standard Oil, and was, you know, arguably the richest man, you know, one of the richest men ever, you know, if you adjust by inflation. Certainly, I think they say maybe five times richer than Warren Buffett if you adjust for uh, inflation. But this guy was tithing constantly and just had a massive impact. And, you know, really um, incredible life story, but like really focused on the Lord, really focused on philanthropy and kingdom enterprises outside of, you know, he financed, for example, D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of that time frame, who ultimately you can trace a line from D.L. Moody all the way to Billy Graham. And there's lots of stories like this. And it's just one guy, one example, but, Imagine thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of Christian believers getting activated to their identity in Christ in the marketplace. Imagine what could happen, what the impact could be on the world and how we could really transform those seven mountains that you talked about earlier. It is my belief that in each one of those mountains, because it appears right now from the outside looking in that a lot of those mountains have been taken over, right? By people that are not, you know, don't believe in a kingdom mandate. How's that? <laughs> but yeah. in each one of those mountains, there is a remnant. There are people at the top of those power structure. And I believe that God right now is moving in a big way and he is already preparing territory, not for us to go take, right? But mm. we need to be bold and courageous if we're going to go take those steps and go occupy that territory that he's preparing for us. 
And that's what you're talking about, right? We need resources and God has infinite resources, but he also leaves it up to us. And if we yes. just shift our focus on why we're doing the work that we're doing, whether we're a software engineer or we're in the field of finance or we're, you know, running a small business, whatever it happens to be doing, you know, irrigation and landscaping. Every single one of us has the ability to make a massive impact in partnership with the father. And that's the key part that I have really learned through my journey is that even though I could only work very part-time coming out of my accident, I was able to do more in partnership with him on a few hours a week than I ever did as an entrepreneur working 60, 70, 80 plus hours a week at times, mm. which was, man, that was crazy times. I would never go back to that. But at the time I wasn't in partnership and I realized, you know what, for me to compete, I felt like the only thing I could do is just outwork everybody around me. And that became my motto. Right. I was just going to outwork everybody around me and just hope, right, that this was, you know, going to lead to something better. And as I just worked myself into a, from the outside, everything looked really good. But I got to tell you inside, man, I was miserable. Right. Well, you know, hard work is a godly thing, but overwork is from the pit of hell. And it, it just overwork is antithetical to faith because what it really says is I don't believe God is my source. I believe I'm my source. And so there's this sort of lie that's crept in about like my competitive advantage is I work harder than the next guy and that's how I'm going to make it. But that's not how I'm going to have it because just one touch from the most high God and his favor is more important than all that work, you know, which a lot of it can amount to just beating at the air. But the Holy Spirit knows where the tipping points are. The Holy Spirit knows what the highly leveraged business activities, you know, where I can add $1 to a project and then suddenly it reaches the tipping point and something flourishes. And whereas, you know, there's other dead projects, you can throw money at them, money and money, 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 and it never amounts to anything. But God knows. The Holy Spirit knows. So really being in that abiding place, coming back to that is key. And it's not a question of what we do. It's a question of who we do it for. And mm. if we take our daily work, if we're a plumber, if we're an accountant, if we're an attorney, if you're a school teacher, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we consecrate that work to the Lord. And you know what happens? It becomes just as holy and sacred as ministering at the altar. So this is really the key that we see ourselves as doing something holy. Even while I'm, you know, fixing toilets as a plumber, even while I'm, you know, uh, litigating doing a big uh, international finance deal. hundred percent. This is something sacred and holy when we give it up to the Lord. Well, and think about this too, in the world that you're in, in Europe, in the world of finance, I'm willing, you know, you're there as an ambassador to Christ, right? Now think about that. An ambassador is a registered agent of a sovereign nation, that, mm. right? And you are that representative to a, you know, to another entity. And now think about the ability you have to bring in because, you know, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with you as you walk into a meeting. You might be, for some of these people, the only glimpse of what it looks like to be a Christian, to have that relationship, to have a different future. 
And I mm. really think the power of the influence that we can have out in the world is, like you said, it's like this untapped people group. Because I'd be willing to bet a lot of people you are interfacing with regularly would probably never darken the door of a church except for maybe a funeral, a wedding, or maybe a concert that their nephew is in. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And and they would never they would never take advice from a quote unquote pastor or a professional, you know, uh, religious person. Cause they would say, look, you know, that guy, is he doesn't get paid. me. He doesn't understand what I'm going through and mm-hmm. he's paid to say all that stuff. Right. Whereas if I come across and I live the gospel and I preach the gospel and people, they take a look and they scratch it and they're like, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would he do that? why would he take that risk? Like, why not just lay up and manage money and, you know, ski on the weekends and uh, everything is fine. But uh, so people have to scratch their heads a little bit and, you know, it's a great opportunity. Uh, but if we're not careful, that opportunity, again, it becomes pressure. We always have this thing in us that wants to take it on and it's based on pride. We want to handle it. We want to achieve this, this, and this. We want to make it. We want to do it. And so that goes from like a worldly agenda, and then we get born again, and we switch it over to a religious agenda. But as we're transforming our mind, we're seeing, okay, no, no, no. It's more about this total surrender and dependence on the Lord, where he's flowing in and through me, and then the work is popping out. So for example, in like an evangelical appeal is almost effortless for me in the sense of like, I mean, I hear people all the time talk about, well, how do you minister to someone or, or, or preach the gospel in a business context? And like, gee, I don't know, because it's not something that I think about from that kind of an angle. It's just something that flows naturally. I have a friend who's a senior executive at a major, major Silicon Valley, you know, funded internet firm. Uh, new startup, huge amounts of money flying around. And he is a believer. I mean, he is, uh, you know, completely on fire, but he's quiet about it. But everybody notices that this guy has this shalom about him. He's got this peace. And they ask him, they, they wonder, okay, what do you take? <laughs> what, what pill are you taking? Or what, what is it that you're doing that you're so cool and everybody else is freaking out? And he would, at first he'd just say, listen, it's nothing, whatever. He'd just blow them off. He doesn't even use it right away until they come back and they come back and they come back and they're like, no, hey, what is it about you? What is this? How are you so cool right now? And he'll say, he'll finally be like, listen, do you really want to know? And then if if they're like, listen, I just want to know. And then he'll explain it. And, um, this is, I think, a beautiful illustration where it's just flowing from us effortlessly. It's not a system, a formula, a calculated thing. It's just when you have the divine life that created the universe flowing in and through you, when you have that power, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead flowing through you, you better believe that's going to do the work. That's going to have the impact, not Aaron Smith and his kindergarten theology and and all his ideas about what should be done and what shouldn't be done. No, it's the power of God. It's the dunamis. It's the power of God that's going to make the difference, not me. 
Man, that was powerful. And everybody, you know, there's so much more about your journey and in depth in your book is Meditations of a Hedge Fund Manager. Uh, great book. And just as we wrap up, Aaron, just what are some final thoughts you'd like to leave to everybody who's been listening? Yeah, no, I mean, just that uh, thought that we need to be in the word daily. I wish somebody told me that when I was younger and just in the word daily, but not only in the word, letting the word proceed from our mouth. So speaking out the word, something happens in our faith, something quickens in our heart when we speak the word of God, because as we're speaking it, we're also hearing it. And so when I go into business situations and complex transactions and litigation and all these kind of things that are you know, pretty hardcore in my world, I first and foremost fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So for example, I'll use Psalm 34. When I have something come against me, when I get, you know, all of a sudden some bad news, the first thing I do, immediate reflex is, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I'll just continue to recite the rest of the psalm. And that psalm, it is a warrior psalm. Literally, David, when he was hiding in the cave at Adulam, when he was being chased by Saul, when he was also hemmed in by the Philistines, so he was getting pursued on both sides. And he was in this cave crying out to the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so I use that psalm, that sword of the spirit to make war in this business context. When something comes against me, I use that. And that's not limited to that scripture, obviously, but that's probably the most important one in my life in terms of like dealing with attacks or dealing with situations that come up. But there's so many other scriptures that we can use where we actually bring the word of God into play, speak it out, point it directly at the situation and see, see what he is able to do by the power of his word. It's awesome. Yeah. And what I love what you said there is it's not only being in the word daily, but also understanding that word as it's almost written for you, right? Personally, Aaron, and how it would be written for me, because I, I do believe that, you know, the Bible has been all put together, but yes. God with his supernatural you know, he wrote that to be relevant to each one of us personally. And I believe that, you know, as we pray and we hear from God, we can hear from the spirit. We can hear from other people around us, either, you know, prophetically sowing into us, discipling us. But I also believe that God speaks to us directly in answer to our prayers and our meditations through that scripture, just like he did with you in Psalm 34. And I love that verse. So, man, thank you for Kind of, I think that's such a great exclamation mark on how do we really uh, partner with the Father, abide, and shift into walking with Him in everything that we do and not having these compartments, man. So thank you, Aaron. Uh, man, this has been awesome. I look forward to our next conversation. And I got to tell you, I'm going to be praying that God finds a way for me to be able to get to Switzerland because it would be uh, it would be really cool to uh, spend time with uh, you and a few other people I know there in person. Let's make it happen. Thanks so much, John. All right. See you, brother. Thank you. Bye.